Reading is from Mark 10, 17 to 31, the rich young ruler. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honour your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own. And give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields, for my sake and for the sake of the good news, who will not receive a hundredfold Now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Amen.
the rich young ruler. It's a great story, isn't it? Who was this man, this rich young ruler? We don't know his name, but one thing we do know about him is uh, that he was rich, uh, that he was young, and that he was a ruler. He was a rich young ruler. He was a religious man. Uh, He had a real love for God. He had a real spiritual interest. He humbled himself. It says that he, he came and fell on his knees before Jesus. Uh, he knew Jesus was different and uh, he lacked assurance. Last week we were looking at Mary and Martha and I guess it was easy for us, wasn't it, to, uh, to identify with either Mary or Martha. But some of us might be here this morning thinking, well, I'm not sure I can identify with this, uh, with this rich man. Anybody here this morning, uh, you know, are, are you rich? And, and I'm talking, you know, let's, let's not, let's not beat about the bush. You know, I'm, I'm talking, uh, I don't want to get all abba on you, but I'm talking money, money, money. Because I know what you're thinking, it's a rich man's world, isn't it? Who wants to be a millionaire? I do. So anybody stinking rich this morning? Anybody uh, got so much money they don't know what to do with it? Put your hands up now. Thank you. Well, listen, folks, I've got great news for you. I've got wonderful news for you. You're going to be really chuffed about this because, uh, congratulations, you're rich. Uh, Peter, have you, have, you, have you got a car? Okay. <laughs> has your family, I'll rephrase the question. Peter, has your family, picked on the wrong person, didn't I? <laughs> has your family got a car, Peter? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know, uh, millions of the people in, in this world would look at you driving a car and think, that guy's rich. Uh, Steve, have you got clean water in your house? Have you got running water? Yeah. You know, millions of people uh, don't have the bare necessity of, uh, of clean water. You know, you and I are rich. Uh, the reason why we don't think we're rich is, uh, is because we tend to look up the street, don't we, rather than down the street. We don't think we're rich because we look at the guy at the end of the road who's got the massive house, who's got the bigger car than us, and uh, who, who, who appears to be richer than us. And we tend to look that way rather than down the street uh, at the millions of people who every day uh, suffer. So, I'm just kind of putting that out there, you know, if, if we think that we're not got anything in common with that rich young ruler, uh, we've got quite a lot in common because we are rich materially speaking, uh, but we've also got an interest in, in, in spiritual things like the rich young ruler. Uh, we also want to know stuff about God, don't we? We want to know what, what, what is required, what, what we need for this relationship with God. And, uh, and that kind of leads us on to uh, the big question. Because in this encounter with Jesus, we have a big question. Are you ready for the big question? You ready for this? This is the big question, okay? This is the big question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now that's a big question. It was a big question in Jesus' day, and it's still a big question today. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Big question. Big question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, it almost seems since the beginning of, 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 of mankind that people have wanted to know the secret, haven't they, of eternal life. 
How can I, how can I get eternal life? How can I live forever? What do I need to do? And this is the big question that this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he asks him and he wants to know. The thing we need to know about this question is, is, is we need to remember that this was a, this was probably, this rich young ruler was probably a Pharisee. Um, when he's talking about, uh, eternal life. He's probably not thinking about eternal life in the same way that we think about eternal life. When we see, you know, what do I need to receive eternal life, we straight away think of heaven, don't we? What do I need to do to get to heaven? Uh, the Jews, uh, in their mindset, there was two ages. There was the present age and there was the age to come. The present age was the age that they lived in. The age to come was when God's rule would come. And if we jump right to the end of the story, uh, just, just to kind of Quantified, that's what Jesus and this man were talking about. When Jesus is talking about the disciples at the end of the, the story, and he tells them about their rewards, he says, you won't fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and in the age to come, eternal life. This age and the age to come. That's the question that the rich young ruler is asking. It's a big question. We could spend our morning looking at that one question, but we're not going to. Because we want to know what the answer is, don't we? We want to know what the answer is. Uh, the big question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the big question that we all know, want to know uh, the answer to. So that's the big question. But then we need to go to the shocking answer. And the shocking answer is that, first of all, Jesus says, why did you call me good? This young man says, good teacher. And we're shocked by that, aren't we? I know your faces aren't saying it, but you are shocked. Because in your mind, you're thinking, well, I think Jesus was a pretty good person. In fact, he was probably the goodest person that ever lived. So what's he, what's he kind of, what's he mincing words about calling him good? Uh, but maybe he's trying to get this guy to, to, maybe this rich young ruler is trying to butter Jesus up a bit. You know, uh, you're a great pastor. You're really good. You know, you know what I mean? And, uh, can you do, can you, <laughs> can you then do something for me? Um, why do you call me good? That's a bit of a shocking, uh, but it's not as shocking as, as what's to come. Uh, but then Jesus goes back onto a bit more familiar terms, certainly for the rich young ruler. You know the commandments? Well, of course he does. Uh, every good Jewish young uh, ruler would know the commandments off by heart. They would learn them from childhood. And of course he, he knows the commandments. And he can say, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And uh, in saying that, he wasn't saying anything out of the ordinary because most Jewish people would have responded in exactly the same way. Uh, but you get the feeling that this rich young ruler thinks there's more. There's something more. Otherwise, why is he coming to Jesus? He knows about keeping the, the commandments. That's nothing new. The shocking answer it gets more shocking because Jesus then says, uh, one thing you lack. One thing. One thing. Uh, were you here last week when we were looking at Martha and Mary? You might not remember. I know it was a week ago. You might not remember. I'll, I'll refresh your uh, your memories uh, because it seems here that Jesus talking is talking about the one thing again. And last week when we were talking about we're looking at Martha and Mary, uh, Jesus said, "But only." One thing is needed and Mary has chosen what is better. Could it be uh, that Jesus brings everything down to just one thing? Martha was worried and upset about many things and Jesus said only one thing is required. This young ruler, rich young ruler, 
uh, has many things in terms of wealth. And Jesus says, yeah, but you lack one thing. Just Jesus bring this whole, what do we do to receive eternal life? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Does he bring it all down just to one thing? In the case of the uh, uh, the rich young ruler, well, the one thing that, you, that he lacked, as Jesus looked at him, and he loved him, don't miss that, Jesus looked at him with love, because he wanted to answer this young man's question, he wanted this young man to come and follow him, but he recognised that if you lack one thing, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor. And the rich young ruler says, you're a funny guy. (laughs) Now seriously, what do you really want me to do? And let's not kid ourselves, you and I would probably respond in exactly the same way. This is a passage that may make some of us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Does God want you to be rich? Well, some people would say, yes. God wants you to be rich. Some people would say, you know, why wait for heaven to get your mansion? The prosperity gospel says you can have it now here on earth. Uh, I think this story and many other things that Jesus says would suggest the exact opposite. Uh, it seems to me, and if you look at the gospels, there seems to be a bias to the poor. And when Jesus talks about following, he seems to be talking about leaving things behind and letting go of things rather than acquiring more things. That's certainly what he's saying to this rich young ruler, to sell everything and give it to the poor. Maybe Jesus is exaggerating to make the point. Maybe he didn't mean give absolutely everything away. But he did want to draw this young man's attention to the fact that he had a lot and there were people around him who had nothing and uh, if you want to follow me, then you need to let go of some stuff. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And this is the important thing. Don't miss this. Then come and follow me. You know, if I was going to put the whole thing, the whole church thing down to one thing, to kind of drum it down to one thing, I'd say it was about following Jesus. That's the one thing that Jesus calls people to do, to follow him. And if there's the one thing that we should be doing is following Jesus, the one thing we also need to be encouraging other people to do is to follow Jesus. One thing. It makes it less complicated, isn't it? Doesn't it? Sometimes we, have you noticed we make, we, we tend to make things very complicated. Um, we have lists with lots of things on it. And, uh, you know, if you're going to become a Christian, uh, you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you've got to do the other. And Jesus seems to bring it down to one thing. He could see in this young rich realer's life that there was one thing that was going to stop him from being able to do the one thing that was important, that was following Jesus. And there's a challenge there. What's the one thing in our lives that prevents us really following Jesus? In Matthew, he's, he's, Matthew has Jesus saying, if you want to be perfect. In other words, if you want to be complete. If you really want to follow me, then it's going to involve leaving things behind. Have you noticed that you have to leave things behind to follow Jesus? 
Jesus called the disciples and what did they do? They left their nets behind and they followed him. Matthew was in his tax collector's booth and what did he do? He left his tax collecting behind and he followed Jesus. What have we left behind to follow Jesus? What have we left behind to follow Jesus? Come and follow me. And then, having looked at the big question, having looked at this shocking answer, there's the, me- the amazing reaction. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. This is, a, this is a unique story. Normally in the Gospels, we read about people coming to Jesus really sad and in an awful situation, and Jesus sends them away happy. He heals them or he restores them or he brings them some good news. Here we have a young man running up to Jesus enthusiastically, falling on his knees, and, uh, and yet he goes away sad. And notice, he went away which is actually the opposite of following Jesus, isn't it? Jesus calls us to come and follow him, and this young man goes away from Jesus. The one thing is about following Jesus. I wonder whether there's been times when you know you've left a situation, and maybe you've been troubled, maybe you've been sad, and could it be because you know in that situation that you've not followed Jesus? And that's why you've gone away disturbed, upset, sad. Because you know in your heart that you haven't followed Jesus in that situation. The amazing reactions. The disciples were amazed at his words because the disciples saw this man as a great prospect for being a disciple. This man had, he was religious, he had bags of money, he was a ruler. He he fitted the bill as far as the disciples were concerned. They thought that... Somebody who was rich, that was a sign of God's blessing in their lives. And some people, mistakenly I would suggest, still think that. They still think that, uh, you know, next time somebody tells you, well, you know, God's blessed me with all this wealth. uh, Don't believe it. Because you won't find it in the Gospels. Gospel, Jesus doesn't want you to be, uh, he wants you to be rich in spiritual terms. uh, But he doesn't want you to have lots of money. And people that tell you that are mistaken. They're not being true to Jesus. In fact, Jesus uh, says himself, you know, when he's talking again to the disciples at the end, uh, yeah, you will get lots of, uh, you'll, you, you know, you'll get homes and brothers and sisters, uh, and with them, oh, persecutions. Following me is actually quite hard And the rewards are worth it, but they're not rewards in terms of earthly, what we understand by earthly blessings. And people do get a little bit confused sometimes between that. The amazing reaction. And then, you like this, there's a funny story. You know? I like it anyway, because it says to me that Jesus had a a sense of humor. There's a funny story. Jesus tells a funny story to the disciples who are very disturbed and uh, confused about what's happening. So he says, I know what I'll do. I'll tell them a funny story to cheer them up. And he talks about the fact that it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle than for someone rich to enter the kingdom of God. This, friends, is a funny story. It's a funny story. Think about it. Think about it. Uh, Mike, if you, in case you don't believe me, somebody more learned, Michael J. Wilkins, in his, in his commentary on Matthew, he says, if not for the seriousness of the situation, the analogy would bring a chuckle. 
to Jesus' listeners as they envision the impossibility of a huge, humped, hairy, snorting, spitting beast squeezing through the tiny eye of the common sewing needle. It's a funny story. The idea, the image that Jesus is drawing in people's minds, the biggest beast in there, in the area where they live, the camel, and one of the smallest things that you can imagine, a needle, and the idea of a camel passing through the eye of the needle, I would suggest, is quite amusing. It's a bit like trying to get a, a small child to pass through something like this. Uh, you cannot do it. It is impossible. And uh, however hard you try, uh, the camel just is not going to fit through the eye of the needle. There's the camel. Uh, needle's not quite to scale, you'll appreciate. Uh, but it doesn't fit. You cannot get a camel through the eye of the needle. You try it when you get home this afternoon. You try it. If you've got a camel uh, in your back garden and you've got a needle, uh, you try it. And uh, I'm telling you now, however hard you try, even if your name's Zach and you're convinced you can get through through this uh, thing, you're not going to do it. It is impossible. Now, of course, some of you, uh, that's the, uh, the funny nature. He's having a go and it didn't work. Of course, some of you uh, may have heard a story about there being a, a gate in Jerusalem called the Eye of the Needle. You might be familiar with that kind of idea. And uh, the idea is that it's, a, it's a quite a small gate, but if the camel took all the things off his back, uh, he just might be able to squeeze through. It's a nice story, folks. Uh, but that's not what Jesus was saying. How do I know, you say? How do you know, Richard? Because I've, I've read stuff like that in commentaries. How do you know, Richard? Are you telling me you know more than them? Well, I'm just giving you my interpretation, and my interpretation uh, is quite simple. I'm, I'm sticking with the one thing, and it seems to me that Jesus is telling a funny story, and he's talking about something which is impossible. And... Uh, I was relieved to find out that my good friend, N.T. Wright, who knows a lot more than me, says this, the point is not that you might achieve it if you tried very hard. The point is that it's unthinkable. That's the moment when all human calculations and possibilities stop and God's new possibilities start. What is impossible in human terms, Jesus follows, are to discover is possible with God. In other words... Going back to the rich young ruler's original question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It is impossible for you to do anything to inherit eternal life. There's a sense in which the rich young ruler was bringing his application for discipleship. And he says, you know, here, here's my application. Yes, I've kept all the commandments. Um, have you noticed in the Gospels, Jesus doesn't receive applications he offers invitations he says come and follow me come and follow me and then having looked at the big question having looked at the shocking answer having seen the amazing response and heard the funny story we then think about the impossible God the impossible God, the disciples says, well, who can be saved? If this person can't be saved, the rest of us don't stand a chance. Because it seemed to us that he, he had pretty good qualifications. Who can be saved? And Jesus confirms that he was talking about something impossible. He says, Jesus looked at him and said, with man this is impossible. Camel, eye of the needle, impossible, you can't do it. But not with God, 
All things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. God is the God of the impossible. When we're faced with an impossible situation, turn to God. Because our God is the God of the impossible. When we think we are beat and downtrodden and we are defeated, turn to God because our God is the God of the impossible. God can do the impossible. We have left everything to follow you, Peter says to Jesus. We have left everything. Again, we've got that idea that to follow Jesus means leaving things behind. They have left everything. They've left their nets, they've left their jobs, they've thrown everything in with Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus, you're either all in or you're not in. You can't be, you know, some of us are kind of halfway through the eye of the needle, aren't we? And uh, we're not sure, you know, which way we're going to fall. And Pete says, you know, we've, we've, we've left everything. We've thrown our lot in with you, Jesus. We've left everything behind. Because uh, that's what it means to be a disciple to follow you. They've left everything behind to concentrate and we're back with the one thing. They've left everything to concentrate on the one thing. It all comes back, doesn't it, to the one thing, following Jesus. When we're in church, what's the most important thing? Following Jesus. When we're at home, what's the most important thing? Following Jesus. When we're at work, what's the most important thing? Following Jesus. When we're on holiday, what's the most important? Following Jesus. Following Jesus in our conversations. Following Jesus in our actions. Following Jesus in our behavior. We are called to follow Jesus in everything that we do. The one thing. And that's what the disciples had done. We must be willing to let go of the life we have planned so as to have the life that is waiting for us, Joseph Campbell. We must be willing to let go. Are we still hanging on to stuff? Have we not quite thrown everything into this following Jesus thing? What must I do to inherit eternal life? That was the question that we go back to, that we started with. You notice that the uh, young rich ruler is talking about inheriting stuff. The thing about inheriting stuff is that to inherit something... Somebody's got to die before you can inherit it. Have you noticed that? Remember the story of the uh, of the prodigal son. The outrage was that the son, the younger son, wanted his inheritance before his father had died. You inherit something after somebody had died. Um, at the beginning, Jesus was on his way. Where were they going? Well, he tells you in the next bit that we didn't read, verses 32 to 34, we are going, we're on our way to Jerusalem. And, uh, on, on the way to Jerusalem, and we're going up to Jerusalem, Jesus said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teach the law. They will condemn him to death. He'll be handed over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Oh, and the impossible three days later, He'll rise again. Because our God is the God of the impossible. But to receive an inheritance, someone has to die. And that's what Jesus was doing on the cross. He was making the impossible possible. 
he was making it possible for the camel to actually go through the eye of the needle, which, as we have seen, is an impossibility, but not with God, because God makes a way through his son on the cross so that you and I can receive an eternal inheritance. And that's what we celebrate when we uh, meet around the Lord's table. The eternal inheritance that God has for each one of us.